break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out. 6-7-2021. Very happy to be back with you here, June 7th. Starting out your week on a Monday, we got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the new jobs numbers in the United States that dropped last Friday, what they reveal about unemployment and unemployment insurance. We're also going to be talking about unions fighting racism. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to be talking about ongoing resistance in Palestine. Those were the sounds of hundreds of Palestinians who gathered in solidarity with the neighborhood of Silwan in East Jerusalem this weekend, which, like Sheikh Jarrah, is facing a violent removal by Israeli settlers and courts. It's a good reminder that while it's mostly fallen out of the news in the West, the struggle against apartheid in Palestine is continuing apace, as Israeli politics also continues to be in turmoil, something that is much more at the top of the news in the Western media. But overall, all across Palestine, this past weekend was an eventful one. One notable thing is, not long after the protests you just heard sound from, Israeli police came and trashed the protest encampment in Silwan for no real reason other than harassment, it seems. In Sheikh Jarrah, where residents are also battling to stop settlers from taking over their homes, Israeli police also arrested an Al Jazeera journalist fracturing her hand in the process and falsely accusing her of assaulting a police officer to justify it. They also broke the camera of another Al Jazeera journalist, all of which, by the way, was caught on film. Israeli police also, yep, there's more, arrested Munna and Mohammed Al-Kurd over the weekend, and the brother and sister pair have become world famous for their documentation of the attempted settler takeover of their home and neighborhood in Sheikh Jarrah. And when I say home, settlers actually live in half of their house. They just forced their way in and started living there. But Both were released over the weekend as well after an international outcry. But what's very clear is that the Israeli police and settlers are increasing their harassment of residents in Sheikh Jarrah and Silwan in order to facilitate their removal by trying to make it just unbearable to continue to live there. And further, in both places, they are also trying to limit actions in solidarity to isolate the movement, which has gained significant worldwide support. And there have also been rumors for a couple weeks now that the U.S. is pressuring the Israelis to resolve the situation in both places in favor of Palestinians, and the escalation of harassment seems to be calculated when viewed in that light. 
Benjamin Netanyahu, who is desperately trying to cling to power, spoke yesterday and accused his opponents, who may form another government this week that would boot him out, that they were not committed to increasing the number of illegal settlements. And it can at least be surmised that Netanyahu and associated forces are hoping to try to either box in the new government by forcing them to endorse what's happening as it continues to gain international media, or try to weaken them from the right by forcing them to speak out in favor of a resolution to the issue that might be at least somewhat more favorable to the Palestinian families. On the other hand, it's clear that Israel has been put on the back foot from a PR standpoint by the ugly shows of racism and violence by settler mobs towards Palestinians. And that has extended to Israeli politicians. In fact, the head of the Shin Bet, that's one of Israel's elite security services, made a fairly unprecedented statement warning that the actions of settler groups to incite violence must be stopped and were likely to lead to the murder of Israeli politicians if they do not. Not surprisingly, today, Israeli police announced a large protest that was planned by settlers for this week would not take place. And no doubt, because it was guaranteed to embarrass the government internationally, as it was bound to be incredibly racist and perhaps violent. In Baita, in the occupied West Bank, a village... Palestinian village. The community is also resisting a settlement being built on their land where over 100 families rely on farming to survive. Protests there on Friday were intense with Palestinians taking a number of casualties. The Palestinian Red Crescent told Al Jazeera there were, quote, 50 injuries by rubber bullets, 26 wounded by live bullets, 190 cases of tear gas inhalation, and 27 other injuries, including beatings. Settlers have already seized five acres of the land, and they've put up 45 houses on that five acres, despite the fact that even under Israeli law, the Palestinians there have clear ownership claims. They've even had documents showing that issued by Israeli authorities. It's worth noting that even though these settlements are completely illegal, the Israeli army has helped in some of the construction. Several weeks ago, two people were shot dead in protests in Baita, but the resistance continues as Al Jazeera reports about Friday's demonstrations. Quote, Baita Town's unity in the face of land expropriation was evident in the organization of the protest on Friday with young boys ferrying boxes of water and food cooked by Baita women to the young men on the front line as they took shifts during the confrontations, end quote. Hamas also opened up a new pressure point, releasing the audio of Israeli soldiers that they claim to be holding captive over the weekend. Now, Israel claims some of them are dead and thus that it's a manipulation. But to the extent that they may actually be holding some of these people captive, it's a very fraught issue in Israel. And there will be pressure placed on the government to negotiate more with Hamas to secure their release. And all of this, of course, is taking place alongside the soap opera about Israel's next government. Naftali Bennett, a hard right settler, really as if not more right wing than Netanyahu, seems set to lead a new government made up of eight parties with very different politics. That is really just a government of convenience to remove Netanyahu. And Netanyahu is fighting back aggressively, trying to get members of those parties to jump ship and prevent a new majority displacing him. A vote could happen as soon as Wednesday, but the Speaker of the House in the Knesset who calls the vote is in Netanyahu's party and seems set to slow walk the thing to help give the current caretaker PM, that's Netanyahu, time to torpedo the new coalition. Now, it seems pretty likely that Netanyahu will not succeed, and that was playing out all over the weekend, but it seems deeply unclear whether or not this quote-unquote new government can last very long. Suffice it to say, many of these parties agree on basically nothing, so how they will legislate anything is unclear. The agreements they made with each other have yet to be made public, and a majority of Israelis say they don't expect the government to last. So while it slipped out of the headlines here in the U.S., there's no doubt 
that the situation in Palestine continues at a high boil, with resistance to apartheid in the West Bank and East Jerusalem in particular, continuing in a significant way. Paul Freimer of Princeton University and Jacob Grumbach of the University of Washington have released a very interesting new piece of research in the American Journal of Political Science. Namely, their research shows that not only do white workers in unions seem to be less racist overall, but that specifically between 2012 and 2016, white workers who joined unions actually became less racist. Bottom line, Union membership seems to play a significant role in reducing racism, at least as compared with other potential factors in society. And the study looked at data from 30,000 people and constructed a scale of how racist people were, essentially, on a five-point scale. The scale was constructed on the basis of how people responded to these four questions. One, the Irish, Italians, Jews, and many other minorities overcame prejudice and worked their way up. Blacks should do the same without any special favors. Two, Generations of slavery and discrimination have created conditions that make it difficult for blacks to work their way out of the lower class. Three, it's really a matter of some people not trying hard enough. If blacks would only try harder, they could be just as well off as whites. And four, over the past few years, blacks have gotten less than they deserved. So they took all those, the answers to all those, then they controlled for a bunch of other factors like gender, income, education, and they did an analysis to see how this affected white people's attitudes towards race, how these different factors, union membership, your income, your education. Ultimately, they concluded, quote, union membership is negatively associated with racial resentment. White union members are less racially resentful than non-union members by between 4.7 and 6.3% on the racial resentment scale. The magnitude of this relationship is substantial, rivaling or surpassing other demographic variables that strongly structure mass politics in the United States. The coefficient for union member is as large as that for female and quite nearly as large as that for education. Its magnitude is much greater than any realistic difference in age. End quote. They also further note that joining a union between 2012 and 2016, that, quote, the effect of becoming a union member is a reduction in racial resentment between 4.1 and 4.8 percent, end quote, on the same scale. And they speculate quite a bit on why this is, mainly focusing on the fact that the workforce is very diverse, giving unions an incentive to pursue more anti-racist policies in terms of recruiting workers. Now, there's a lot to be said about that, a lot to be said about how unions deal with race, and the paper actually speaks to another few points. But the most important thing to me is that the growth of unions seems to portend a reduction in racism. Well, the jobs report for last month dropped on Friday, and as each jobs report now does, it unleashed a chorus of hate from right-wing and corporate America about how increased unemployment benefits are keeping people from working. And just like in past months, this is still false. Now, just overall, for those who missed the jobs numbers, there are about 7 million fewer jobs than there were in February 2020, last month in May, so the economy is still in a fairly deep hole. On the other hand, the 559,000 jobs created was slightly higher than the average created over the last three months, and continuing on this pace would mean unemployment would be down to 4% by mid-2022. So you could argue, and the White House certainly is arguing, that things are moving about as fast as you might expect, given the circumstances. But what is more important is the issue of people staying at home, which is the basis of this attack on unemployment insurance. The biggest evidence that this is false is the fact that the lowest wage sector, where people would see the biggest benefit from the unemployment boost, is the fastest growing. 
292,000 of the jobs created last month, by far the most, were in the leisure and hospitality sector. Now, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics data, this sector has the lowest hourly wages of all the sectors they measure. So let's do some calculations. Now, unemployment typically pays 30 to 50% of your income. Average weekly salary in the leisure and hospitality sector last month was $481.19. So on the higher end of that scale, 50%, you'd be looking at $240.59 before the boost. With the boost, $540.59. That's essentially $60 more a week. So despite the fact that some workers are ostensibly making more on unemployment in this sector than if they were to be making the average hourly wage, it seems absurd to argue that unemployment is keeping people from working. Now, of course, some people are not getting 50% of their paychecks, but less in terms of regular unemployment insurance, which means they're actually making less than the average wage in the leisure and hospitality sector, or the same as the average hourly wage, which yet again seems to make the idea that unemployment insurance is keeping people at home absurd. It also just isn't the way unemployment works, where you have to be looking for work and you can't turn down jobs that are offered to you. So ultimately, unemployment insurance is going to force you into the labor force at a certain point before your benefits run out. So perhaps some people are using a bit of extra cushion to look for the best job for them, but there's not a labor shortage being caused by unemployment benefits. And in fact, the data seems to suggest that job growth is happening in the biggest way in the sectors with the lowest wages and thus the greatest benefits from the unemployment check boost. So there's obviously something else going on here. And as we spoke to, some people may be using it a little bit as a cushion, but the biggest issue seems to be that employers are not taking enough consideration into health and safety issues and also wage issues to get people actually back to work. So the attack on unemployment insurance isn't because it's really keeping people on the sidelines, but because it's just giving them a tiny little bit of leverage and employers want to eliminate all that leverage to force as many people into poverty wage jobs as they possibly can. And that's going to do it for us here on The Punch Out. We'll be back with you tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, as we always are here on Breakthrough News. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.